Members of the church who are educated in its history and theology often fall victim to the arrogance of certainty. If others dare question their proclamations, they believe it shows a lack of faith and a refusal to submit to Christ. But they are not Christ, and they are absolutely capable of being wrong. We are challenged to serve the Lord, which doesn't mean we'll understand the call, but we need to have faith and believe in Jesus. Those with power and authority need to set aside their certainty and truly submit to Christ by more respectfully listening to all the members of his body. I'm Brandon Jubar, and I'll be your guide as we walk through the readings for this week. It's an important process because we believe the scriptures are the inspired word of God. But to really be nourished by the word, we need to break it open and look a little deeper. We need to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Now, the messages I get from these scriptures might feel right to you, but you also might find that the Holy Spirit tells you something else, and that is absolutely all right. So if you're ready, let's dive in. As I said, tonight we'll be looking at the readings for the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, cycle B. Our first reading is from Joshua, it's chapter 24, verses 1 and 2a, verses 15 through 17, and verses 18b. Our second reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and that's chapter 5, verses 21 through 32. And oh, that's a fun one. And our gospel reading is from John, it's chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. Now, just a couple things to note. First, we do have readings from both the Old and the New Testaments tonight. Joshua is from the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scripture, while St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is from the New Testament, or the Christian Scripture, as is our Gospel reading. Now, tonight we'll see that Joshua puts forth a challenge. St. Paul says something challenging, and Jesus scares people away. Okay, let's start by going through the readings, and then we can talk about the messages we find. As I said, our first reading is from Joshua. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Their second reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
Brothers and sisters, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. And our gospel reading is from John. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled it. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, so let's take a first glance at these readings and we'll ask ourselves, oh, what does this mean? What messages and meanings can we find if we dig around a little bit? So from our first reading from Joshua, we see Joshua gathering, you know, all the honchos and bigwigs from the tribes of Israel to basically throw a challenge in their faces. Who are you going to serve? Who, who are you going to worship? The people had been led out of slavery, you know, several generations of slavery in Egypt, and they were now living in the lands uh, belonging to the Amorites who worshiped other gods. You know, it's certainly not uncommon for immigrants to adopt the norms and customs of their new homeland. So it's not surprising that Joshua called them together to, to put this issue to bed once and for all. Of course, he makes it perfectly clear what he and his household are going to do, which is, which is really what makes this a challenge. In fact, he doesn't even phrase it as a question. 
He doesn't ask them who they're going to serve. He even starts off a little bit snarky. He says, well, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then make your choice right now. Other gods or the one, the only, the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> this whole thing might seem weird to us today. I mean, I, I can't imagine our pastor you know, gathering us around and asking, are you going to serve Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, and the rest of the Greek pantheon? Or are you, are you going to serve our triune God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier? I'm sure we'd all be like, uh, what? <laughs> but, but don't get too hung up on the whole serving other gods question, because we definitely have our equivalents today, which I've discussed before. Instead of asking if we're going to you know, worship Zeus and Hera, what if our pastor asked, are you going to put your career, the accumulation of wealth and personal possessions, the recognition that comes with success, and your ego at the top of your priorities? Is that where you'll focus your time and energy? Or are you going to listen to your baptismal call to be the hands and feet of Christ on earth? Now, that is the kind of challenge we'd hear today. And I wonder how many Christians could honestly respond the way the Israelite leaders did. They said, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Most people today prefer a check-the-box level of commitment. Attend Mass? Check. Donate money? Check. <laughs> no meat on Fridays? Uh, during Lent? Check. Participate in the Sacrament of the Reconciliation? Um, check. All right, I'm good to go. Is, is that all we're called to do? Is that what it means to serve the Lord? Is, is that what it means to be a Christian? A true disciple of Christ? Yeah, hardly. And that's why the main message I got from our first reading is that we are challenged to truly serve the Lord. We aren't called to be check-the-box Christians. Answering God's call and being true disciples of Christ is more than some pre-flight checklist of faith stuff. It requires an active, thoughtful, and loving response that's reflected in our attitudes and in our actions. So we need to stop trying to check the boxes because we are challenged to truly serve the Lord. Our second reading was from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this is one of those fun readings to pull out, especially when you're debating the Bible with certain people. In fact, this, re this reading is so misunderstood and so controversial that the lectionary offers a shortened version that removes the whole wives submit yourselves to your husband's stuff altogether. Of course, I chose to read the full version because, well, that's how we roll when we're talking about the real word. But here's the thing. This is one of those scripture passages that clearly reflects the patriarchal society in the Mediterranean region at the time. Most reasonable biblical scholars and theologians will point out that what St. Paul is doing is using an analogy, a, a metaphor, similar to what Jesus did when he talked about sheep and shepherds and planting seeds and so many other everyday things 
that his listeners in that time and place would understand. Both both Jesus and St. Paul seem to understand uh, the concept that neuroscientists today call neural reuse, which is the theory that metaphors use the exact same neural circuits as the new, more difficult concept you're trying to share. In other words, a metaphor doesn't dumb down the idea you want to teach. It actually helps the listener more quickly understand those difficult new ideas. So we have to ask ourselves, what was St. Paul doing? What, you know, was he trying to create a church that made women submissive to men? No, no, he was actually using, he was just using a concept that they were familiar with. The people of the Ephesians that he was writing to, that, that of the relationship of a good husband and a good wife in a patriarchal society that they lived in. He was using that to explain how the church should function should being the operative word. Let's set aside the dramatically different societal norms for a moment and try to understand the concept. St. Paul was saying that the church needs to submit to Christ, which might seem like common sense to us, but is that really what happens? How often do we see members of the magisterium promulgating rules based on scattered scripture references, uh, the writings of men, many of whom died hundreds of years ago, uh, and bad science. And then we hear a handful of voices from within the clergy (laughs) and countless voices from the laity who ask, how do these rules align with the gospel message and the teachings of Jesus? In other words, how does this idea of yours submit to Christ? As cliche as it sounds, what would Jesus do? Now, I said this one this is one of those fun readings to, to pull out when you're debating the Bible with certain people, and here's why. Certain people will try to interpret the New Testament literally. They won't even try to debate the literalness of the Old Testament, but they'll quote the New Testament verbatim and argue, it is what it is. Then when you throw this one at them, they'll say things like, well, You can't ignore that St. Paul says that husbands have to love their wives, and if you love your wife, you love yourself. It's like, okay, but you're trying to ignore the fact that Paul said, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So wives need to, what, treat their husbands like gods? But maybe that makes it easy for their husbands to love them. I don't know. Anyway, you can get people all tied up in knots over this reading, but I think it's important for us to remember two things. Number one, the power of metaphor in teaching a new concept. And number two, St. Paul ends this passage by saying, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul ends by making it perfectly clear that he had just used a metaphor. Anyway, the main message I got from this reading is that the church must remember to submit to Christ in all things. Far too many leaders within the Catholic Church strive to create rules and explanations for those rules that simply fit their preconceived notions of what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. 
they operate as if the rest of us are required to submit to them. And they ignore the fact that St. Paul said Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he cares for us because we are members of his body. It should go without saying, but I'll say it again anyway, the church must remember to submit to Christ in all things. And finally, our gospel reading was from John. And hopefully you can see how our first reading is linked to this gospel reading. In our first reading, Joshua, he challenged the people to choose between worshiping other gods and worshiping the one true God. In our, in our gospel reading, the, the, the disciples of Jesus are facing a challenge of faith as well. But I think it's actually far more difficult for them than the challenge their ancestors faced. Now, we didn't read it tonight, and we didn't actually read it last week because the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary fell on Sunday. But normally, on the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time, we would have read what came just before this. You see, Jesus was, he was teaching in the synagogue and said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. For us today, we go, yeah, 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 transubstantiation, transubstantiation you know, the real presence, we get it, we get it. But it wasn't some throwaway line for Jesus's Jewish followers back in the day. You know, they, they were like, they'd just been following him around and listening to him. And, and they were going, ah, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. Cool. Uh, faith can grow like a mustard seed. Yeah, we dig it. Uh, to live forever, we just have to eat your flesh and drink your blood. Yeah. Wait, what? What kind of a lunatic says this bizarre stuff? So, so people were leaving. And not just, not just casual listeners who happened to be in the synagogue that day because that's where he was sharing this. These were followers of, of this amazing new rabbi, this incredibly wise teacher. These were people who considered themselves to be his disciples. Think about it. They were right there with him in person, in flesh, hearing his words with their own ears. And what he said was so challenging to their deeply held beliefs and, and frankly, their, their understanding of the world that a lot of them just said, okay, now you're talking a little crazy. <laughs> we like the other stuff, especially the miracles, but this is just nuts. And they left. Of course, the 12 chose to stay. But I think, I think they didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying, which makes it all the more impressive that they still believed in him. They were trying to understand it, and, and someday almost all of them would, but they weren't quite there yet. And maybe that's the message we should get from our gospel reading. We are challenged to believe even when we don't fully understand. You've heard me say it many times before, we're on a journey of faith. And even though we're pretty sure of the destination, we're definitely figuring out the path as we go along. There is so much that isn't certain, but that's why we call it faith. If we were absolutely certain 
there would be no room for faith. We have to figure out how to embrace the fact that we don't understand everything. We need to trust Christ in the face of uncertainty because we are challenged to believe even when we don't fully understand. All right, so let's sum up what we've, what we've talked about so far. In our first reading from Joshua, the main message I came away with was we are challenged to truly serve the Lord. And from our second reading, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the main message I got was the church must remember to submit to Christ in all things. And finally, the main message I got from our gospel reading was we are challenged to believe even when we don't fully understand. The members of the church who are the most well-educated in its history and theology are also the ones who are most likely to fall victim to the arrogance of certainty. And if those who are less educated in the faith dare to question their proclamations or fail to submit to their views, then huh, they're pretty sure it's indicative of a lack of knowledge, a lack of faith, and a refusal to submit to Christ in all things. But they seem to have forgotten that they are not Christ, and they are absolutely capable of being wrong. We are all challenged to serve the Lord, which doesn't mean we'll always understand what we're being called to do, but we need to have faith and believe in Jesus. And those who have power and authority within the church need to remember that too, which might mean setting aside their arrogance of certainty and truly submitting to Christ by more respectfully listening to all the members of his body. All right, so let's step back and take a second glance at these readings overall and ask ourselves if the path is any clearer. To do this, I'd like to ask two questions. So what and now what? Okay, so what? Why should we care about any of this? Well, we should care about this because the church in many parts of the world, including the U.S., is becoming more judgmental and exclusionary. Those in authority within the church seem bound and determined to inflict a medieval understanding of things on the world today. Just as an example, while the United Nations, Pope Francis, and many other world leaders are saying that climate change is the most important and urgent life issue we will likely ever face, <clears throat> the U.S. bishops are spending their time uh, focusing on things like denigrating critical race theory, uh, threatening to withhold the Eucharist from the president, and promulgating horribly misguided teachings on the human person and gender ideology. Too many of the clergy are building an echo chamber of certainty, drawing in people who fear the other who they don't understand. In many cases, these clergy are preaching interpretations of man-made rules as if they came straight from the lips of Jesus. And then they're twisting beautiful concepts like the need for faith. They're twisting them. When someone looks at one of their cruel, hateful rules and says, I don't understand, that doesn't seem like the loving response Jesus calls us to make. They reply, you just need to have faith. Really? Faith in Jesus? 
or faith in you and the questionable ideas you're spreading. And the last question I try to answer is, now what? Okay, what are we supposed to do? Where do we go from here? Well, one option is to just head for the door. And honestly, it's an option that many, many people are taking. But as an old Jesuit priest once told me, you can't steer the ship if you jumped overboard. So I'd rather you not head for the door. I'd rather you not choose option one. I would rather that you choose option two which is to take this week's real challenge. And this week's real challenge is innocently raise a little ruckus. When any Catholic you know spouts some mean or hurtful rule or or takes a position that seems clearly not Christ-like, not loving and accepting and forgiving, ask them to explain it. Don't argue with them. Just keep asking them to explain how their position or opinion reflects the compassionate love of the Savior who died for all of us. And don't accept answers like, the catechism says, or Bishop so-and-so wrote, or whatever other authority they try to cite. Like a little child, just keep asking why and see what you can stir up. Just tilt your head to the side and innocently raise a little ruckus. You might just make a crack in their certainty, and if nothing else, it's kind of fun to watch them squirm. All right, well, before I wrap things up, I'd like to leave you with one more quote from Scripture. If you're concerned about stirring up trouble while you're trying to innocently raise a little ruckus, Remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Ask for clarity by focusing on some version of the question, why? And then try to listen quietly. Don't listen to respond. Don't look for ways to pounce and belittle the other person. Simply listen to understand. It'll help you in the long run and might just cause the other person to open their eyes a little bit more. All right, we've come to the end of our time here together. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back again next week. But in the meantime, I really do encourage you to use this as a starting point. Spend some time with the Bible on your own. Read through a passage a couple of times. Right? Think about it. Pray about it. Try to open up not only your mind, but your heart. Let's break open the Word and then listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us. The Real Word Podcast is brought to you by The Real Values Project, Real Youth Ministry, and The Real Values Framework. Real stands for respect, engage, accept, and lead. For more information on The Real Values, please visit keepingitreal.club. And finally, the Bible readings used for this podcast are from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 1973, 1978, 1984, and 2011, by Biblica Inc., used by permission, all rights reserved worldwide.